1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
0: It is the Robert Ludberg Show coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. Need to know what it takes for a home to fit your budget and your family? Rocket can. All right, it's the time of the show where I make my NFL picks. And I have to say, um, you know, I uh, really, uh, I started off the season okay. And then I had an embarrassing couple of weeks I was ashamed of. So uh, instead of, of backing away from that embarrassment, instead of running and hiding from that embarrassment, I confronted it. Because in order to, you know, to defeat a problem, you have to face the problem. And and I, I saw my problem, and I faced it head on. And Anthony, I picked every game last week, and, and I did all right for myself. You went 9-6 and six last week. You did very well yeah, that's pretty good for picking all the games. Pretty now good. unfortunately I did so terribly the weeks prior that I still have a hole to dig out of, but I, I began climbing out of said you're hole. now 14 and 22 overall, so you're eight under, eight under. So let's see if I can continue to climb towards 500. I will pick every game once again on the NFL schedule for this week. Let's do it. Let's start with the game in London. the Jets plus two and a half. Over the Falcons. Give me New York. You know, the Falcons just, they're just not a good enough team to be getting points, you know, without a home field advantage or anything like that. So the the Jets looked much better last week. Zach Wilson looked like he's starting to trend in the right direction. I'm not saying this with any confidence. I don't think the Jets are a good football team by any means. But I don't know if, you know, I, I consider the Falcons on a different tier. They're playing not in Atlanta. So I'll take the points with Gane Green. I'll go with the Dol- the Bucks minus 9.5 over the Dolphins. <laughs> I just think this situation, that season, might spiral out of control for Miami. Uh, they have quarterback issues, obviously, with, with Tua's injury. Um, don't really have a real replacement. He wasn't so great when he was there. Anyway, their offense has not looked good at all. It's a lot of points. Um, it's a lot of points, but it's... Tampa Bay and Tom Brady, I, I have to take them over the, the Dolphins. And one of the, the sort of vows I made when I fell behind is just pick with the good teams. I, I mean, that that's generally pick against the bad teams, pick with the good teams. I'll take the Bucks minus nine and a half over the Dolphins. This one was tough for me, but I'll go with the Packers minus three over the Bengals. I was really tempted to take Cincy in this one. You know, it just feels like kind of trap game for Green Bay. There's, you know... The Bengals are three and one on the season. The the Packers are, are headed on the road here for for this one. Um, but the Packers are one of the better teams in, in football. Uh, I believe you know they they've righted their ship since that that season opening loss. Uh, obviously, they got Aaron Rodgers on their team, so I had to go with Green Bay. I'll go with the Jaguars plus four and a half over the Titans. I kind of could see this game, you know, like if Urban Meyer was ever going to coach the game of his NFL life, it's going to be this weekend. The Titans are fresh off a, a loss to the Jets. Maybe the Titans are another one of those teams that just doesn't have it this season, kind of like Miami, where, you know, they, they had a pretty good year. They've had a couple of, of pretty good years, the the last few, and and they're, they're still right there. I think they're actually first in their division uh, at two and two. But nonetheless, they got blown out by Arizona in Week One, and they lost to the Jets in, in overtime. They've played two overtime games already. I'm not just I'm just not huge on the Titans and the Jaguars looked better in their last game. Trevor Lawrence looked better in the last game, and and I just got this feeling that with all this thing, Urban Meyer is going to actually pull it out this weekend. I'll take the Panthers minus three. Over the Eagles. I've been riding with Philly for much of this season, but it seems like the wheels have fallen off that situation there in Philadelphia a little bit. The Panthers have played pretty well this season. Didn't get it done against Dallas, but overall, they look like a team that plays with some purpose. Sam Darnold has had a good season thus far. They were competitive in in that game for much of it until, you know, got away from them. So I'll take the the Panthers minus three over that the Eagles who have struggled on the defensive side. I'll take the Pats. Minus seven and a half over the Texans. I don't trust the Pats' offense enough to really cover that number. Uh, I, I hesitate to pick them in this one, but I am picking every game. This would not be a game that I would just pick on my own. But the Texans are god-awful. So, it, you know, it's just one of those things. Like, I, I don't feel comfortable with that number for New England, but I can't pick with the Texans. Just I, I just can't do it. So I will go with the Patriots Minus seven and a half over the Texans. The, the last three Texans results, they lost by 10 to the Browns. They lost by 21 or 20. What's 24 minus nine? I'm stupid. 21. That's not even close to correct. Uh, 15 to the Panthers and by 40 to the Bills. I'll take the Vikings. Minus 10 over the Lions. Another number I'm not very comfortable with. I wouldn't just bet this game on my own. 10 points is a lot. For the Vikings to just be favored by, but it's the Detroit Lions. What do you want me to do? I still is that number even right? I gotta double check to make sure that I really have that right there. Ten point favorites? That is wild to me. But I gotta go with them because I can't pick the Lions. It's the same thing with the Texans. You know, like no matter what the number is, I, I just have to pick against the Lions. Have to pick against the Texans. And I guess I have to pick the Vikings minus ten. I'll take the Saints. Minus two and a half over the Washington football team. It's another one where I'm sort of tempted to go with Washington. Another one is not a division game for New Orleans. On the road, I could see that being a little bit of a trap game. But they're the better team, and um, that's enough for me to, to pick with them given they only need to win that game by a field goal. I'll take the Steelers plus one and a half over the Broncos. Both these teams kind of stink. Uh, the Broncos have gotten off to a, a good start but they don't have the quarterback play. The Steelers, you know, it's gotten to the point where you're hearing people talk about whether they should bench Big Ben. It's just difficult for me to pick against the Steelers as dogs at home to the Broncos. Uh, You know, I've mentioned several times Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season. Maybe this is finally the one, but home dogs, I got to go with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'll take the Browns, plus two, over the Chargers, Chargers have been playing well. Short week for them, though. Uh, Browns have a little motivation in this one. I know Baker Mayfield's a little ticked off um, a- as of late. He, he and the, the Browns are a pretty good team. I mean, they, they started the season about how you would expect from them. 3-1, and one, the one loss, a tight one to the Kansas City Chiefs in week one. So I, I think with that that quick turnaround, I will take the Browns plus two Over the Chargers, the Bears, plus five and a half over the Raiders. Um, Justin Fields now the quarterback in in Chicago. To be honest with you, I do think the John Gruden thing looms over this game a little bit. I don't even know if he's going to be coaching it. I I would say that's up in the air, whether he's coaching that game on Sunday. So it's enough for me to think uh, I can lean and, and go with the Bears getting five and a half. I'll take the Cowboys minus seven over the Giants. Giants playing much better football. They look like a much better team now. Daniel Jones, best year of his career by far so far. Maybe even looking like a real quarterback. But the Cowboys have been one of the better teams in the NFL. Um, and their offense has been explosive this season. Uh, Dallas is the real deal. This is not one of those pretend Cowboys teams that gets overhyped. This is a legitimately good Dallas Cowboys team sitting at 3-1. and one. So I got to go with the Cowboys. Minus 7 over the Giants. I'll take the 49ers plus 5.5 over the Cardinals. The Cardinals, look, they look like a Super Bowl contender. Um, You could make the argument they're the best team in football thus far. But I'm a believer in Trey Lance and his ability and what he'll bring to that San Francisco team. I think he will make, even with his struggles with accuracy, I think he'll make their offense more dynamic. Even with his inexperience, I think his ability to run opens up another dimension for them. And that's already a pretty good team overall. So, getting 5.5, division game, I'll take San Francisco. Bills, plus 2.5 over the Chiefs. Like the Chiefs, I, I think, might have righted the ship a little bit, but their defense has not been good at all this year, and the Bills have absolutely waxed their last several opponents. Combine that with the fact that the Chiefs have not done well against the spread um, as of late, I will take the Bills, plus 2.5 over Kansas City. And finally... I'll go with the Ravens, minus 6.5 over the Colts. Got to love what Lamar Jackson has been able to do this year. Um, you know, that that entire team is, is built around him in Baltimore, and they're at 3-1 and one on the season. Impressive win, you know, against the Broncos last week, who had defensively been very good. The Colts just don't do anything for me. It's uh, not an exciting team. So I will take the Ravens, minus 6.5 over the Colts. And those are my NFL picks for week five of this here football season. Let's go next out to, uh, is it Aggie in in Plano, Texas? Aggie, you're up here on the Robin Ludberg Show. What's going on?
2: Good morning, Robin. Um, Thank God for taking my call. I, uh, I, uh, this is my first time even calling in on a radio show, but, I listen to you every morning when I'm on my way to work at 5 in the morning, and it's just scary because um, we live in – I love how you have the approach about the humanity and dignity of all – and, and if we take that and, and put it in all the subject matter that you brought up today on your show, um, if we could just keep it simple like that, it wouldn't allow people to change the standards, change their stance. It would. It would take away a whole lot of being able to – maneuver things around like the caller made earlier today about um, how you're trying to explain when you make a comment about rubber lips. You know, you said what you said because you said it from the heart at that time. And, I mean, I'm shocked and disappointed to wake up to know it uh, that someone I've admired for years um, said what he said. But being a fourth-generation Army veteran, being a father who— um, raises children to have character and judge people only by their character and not what they look like you know, any of that, you know, instilling values. I think overall, sports, uh, life, work, anything, if, if, if we learn how to just be accountable and responsible for everything, every action, every word, just like the Bible tells us to, to give an account for it, I think it'll be a whole lot better place. And I know that's, that's really, really a broad thing to say, but I just thank God for how you, you know, had everybody, you you, you, you took your stance on your platform, and I really appreciate it.
0: Well, look, I appreciate your call. Uh, I appreciate the kind words. I appreciate your sentiment. And here, I'll use this as an example. Like, you and I um, have, it sounds to me, and, and I don't know you, but have lived different walks of life. I uh, you, uh, appreciate your service uh, as well. Um, you referenced, you know, God, the Bible that's not, you know where my values have come from, but it's where your values have come from, and our values are aligned, right? And and that's the the main thing. You know, it's not how you get there; it, it's where you wind up. And and I think, um, as far as as this this picture that we're we're, we're painting and we're talking about, I mean, the it would all be a lot easier if you just just treat other people with respect, right? Like um, and and check yourself a little bit, and, and yeah, what well, they call it a golden rule for, for a reason, right? It sounds like I felt like an elementary school teacher or something. Treat others how you would want to be treated, but, I mean, it's true, right? And and it, it is kind of, like, uh, disturbing at times to see the, the lack of empathy people have or the, the lack of decency they have towards other people. And even that's when they're being critical of people who have messed up. Even the people who are being critical of people who messed up have a, a certain lack of decency, and tact in their approach. And they, they act like they've never screwed up in their life. And they call everybody to task or, you know, even the the shaming of the people who haven't taken the vaccine as somebody who thinks you could take the vaccine, just the tone and the tact that people have with, with that. I, I mean, it, it's it's all different sides of the of the same coin. So I, I do appreciate um, your words. And I, I do appreciate your message as well. And you know, I I don't know what else to say about the John Gruden situation other than you read that and you know I would think anybody who reads that just kind of with no agenda or, or approach going in has a certain reaction to it. Those words themselves, and that's why I think it's a big deal. Not because it's from the past. Again, I don't like the fact that people dig up stuff from the past and throw it in people's faces. Um, but the the words he actually used, the the tone. The fact that he put it in an email, all that. I'm, I'm genuinely curious to see how his players reacted. I'm genuinely curious to see whether John Gruden will be on the sideline come Sunday. 855 212 4227. 855 212 4227. Speaking of Sunday, last Sunday night, the big story was Brady versus Belichick. But we'll give you the inside story into how they got to what took place last Sunday. Coming up next, it's The Robin Lundberg Show, and it's here with you on CBS Sports Radio.
2: You're listening to The Robin Lundberg Show on CBS Sports Radio.
0: I was waiting for the intro. I feel like I'm running through a tunnel or something. Maybe to rejoin my old team in Foxborough or face off against my old team in Foxborough, like what happened last weekend. And joining me now, Seth Wickersham, author of It's Better to Be Feared, the book will be released nationally on Tuesday, October 12th. Now, Seth, I know you, you've done this for a while, so not your your first, first rodeo or anything, but still, how does it feel when you, you work on something, as long as I'm sure you did on this project, and then you're on the cusp of the actual release?
3: Oh, man, I'll tell you in a couple of days, it's just kind of been, um, you know, a fun couple of weeks, you know, kind of leading up to the Patriots-Bucks game, and then after of, of you know, just getting to talk about it with people and, it's been really, really cool. I'm not going to lie.
0: <laughs> it's Better to Be Feared, uh, obviously, a book on the, the New England Patriots and their dynasty. How do you think, Seth, uh, and I've seen some of the expert, uh, excerpts that have been um, you know, broken out, especially in the lead-up to that game. How do you think, for, from your reporting, Belichick and Brady felt about the coverage of that game leading in?
3: Oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, they knew it was going to be a big game, but, y- you know, and it was a cool game. I mean, frankly, like... I I loved it. I don't know, um, you know, if you were there, but I got to, you know, I was at the game and I, I just thought that like the chess match, you know, between two of the smartest football minds ever, Belichick's defense and Brady's offense was was so much fun to watch in person, even though it was, you know, in the middle of this downpour. And so, you know, w- whatever the coverage of the game was, you know, I'm not sure how they felt about it, but I feel like that the game itself. Was one of those rare games where, even though it was sloppy, it kind of lived up to its billing.
0: You know, and, and I'm sure both of those guys would uh, would tell you, and, and did tell the press, you know, it's it's not really about them, and it's it's about the win for the team, and 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 all that stuff, and and, and I'm sure there's truth in, in that. But as competitive as they both are, and, and you could see it, you know, I think nothing showed that to me more than than Brady going for the jugular down the stretch of that game a couple times right just throwing it to the well, end zone trying to end the game uh th- that that had to be a game that that both of them felt a, a little personal uh pride and 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 uh competitive nature around
3: oh i mean without a doubt i mean plus you know both teams look there's the there's the the fundamental nature of it which is that both teams entered that game needing a win, right They both were coming off losses and then there's the the nature of of the stakes and the stakes you know were just obvious for everyone to see but um, you know it was just you know like I said it, it was a, it was an awesome game to watch. I mean we could talk about that forever, but it was just you know to me the way that Belichick's defense played forcing Brady into a lot of incompletions you know, tightening up in the red area. I think they made it to the red zone four times and only came away with one touchdown. It was, it was a vintage Belichick defense against a future Hall of Fame quarterback. And then you had Brady, who, aged 44, made just enough plays to win the game and did them often with his legs. You know, he scrambled for that first down, and he got outside of the pocket and bought himself a little bit of time on a key third down. And, you know, it took, it took everything that both of them had to try to contain the other one, and I thought it was just cool.
0: Robin Lover talking to Seth Wickersham, author of the book It's Better to Be Feared, The New England Patriots' Dynasty in the Pursuit of Greatness. It's out on October 12th. Uh, You know, obviously things have gone well for Brady since. I I think that's, you know, an easy takeaway. But I want to get into some of the, the things I have seen from your book. Clearly, you know, there was friction there between Brady and Belichick. How bad would you say it was at the end, and how much of it was uh, as a result of, you know, the way Brady's trainer had put it, uh, Belichick's treatment of him not changing over the years?
3: Yeah, I don't know if that was a fair comment. I mean, you know, clearly Tom Brady was never just one of the other Patriots. But, you know, in August of 2019, they were in the middle of of a— of a pretty tough contract negotiation, and Brady wanted some guarantee. Remember, they had just won their sixth Super Bowl together, and Brady wanted a contract that he felt he had earned, or at least deserved, the benefit of the doubt on to play until he was age forty-five, his his longtime stated goal. The Patriots just kind of wanted him more on a year-to-year basis. It wasn't just Belichick; it was an organizational decision. At the Super Bowl later that year, Robert Kraft told other owners, "You know, we want Brady, but not until he's forty-five, maybe." And so. It was a tough contract negotiation. And in August of 19, he ends up getting a raise, but essentially a one year deal that allows him to be a free agent at the end of the year. And 48 hours after he signed that deal, he and Giselle Bungeon put their house up on the market.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess that, uh, that's a good indicator of where things might be headed, right? And, and it's not as if uh, Brady's the only person who had some friction with, with Bill Belichick. I mean, in, in your book, uh, you know, it, it's it's sort of indicated that, that Robert Kraft maybe isn't the best, biggest fan of him, and, and also that uh, the whole Trump thing uh, may have cost Belichick a, a little bit of, of confidence or goodwill in the locker room.
3: Well, I mean, Robert Kraft is going to be probably in the Hall of Fame, and, you know, he probably should be, and for two reasons. Number one, because he made what, in retrospect, is the greatest trade in NFL history, um, trading for Bill Belichick. And number two, because he was able to keep the band together as long as he did. And he mostly did a masterful job at that. And, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that it didn't come without managerial challenges at the times, you know, at various times. And, you know, these are two, Belichick and Brady, two very type A personalities. And, you you know, managing them is, is difficult. And at one point, yeah, in August of 2019, um, Kraft was at a, a, a business conference in Aspen. And he ran into some friends in the hotel lobby, and he said, "You know, I hate leaving a conference like this because you get to hang around some of the most brilliant minds. But um, I've got to go to Detroit to be with the biggest effing a hole in my life, my head coach."
0: <laughs> That's a hell of a quote, right? <laughs> um, the the uh, I just because I had referenced it, just I know this is sort of like I feel like now that he's out of our uh, sometimes the national purview, it's no fun to you know nobody wants to talk about him anymore. And, and Bill Belichick uh, did have the the incident where he he did not go and accept the the award he was going to get, but there was some support uh, from around Donald Trump from the Patriots organization, from Bill Belichick in particular, and and the players in the locker room. Many of them did not receive that well. Correct?
3: No, I mean. You know, a lot of this is well-documented, but, um, you know, over the years about, you know, some of the issues. But, yeah, in um, in 2016, you know, then-candidate Donald Trump read that letter of support from Bill Belichick to a crowd. And there was a lot of people in the Patriots locker room who were upset about that. And he ended up, Brian Flores, who was one of his assistants, now with the Dolphins, you know, told him, you need to address this. Like, there are some players who were really upset about this. And and Bill did. It didn't really go over well. And, you know, the players didn't think he was, like, an intolerant coach. They just thought that, like, he had created a distraction from the team, for the team and kind of explained it in a way that he would have never accepted from a player. And, um, you know, there was a small group of Patriots who considered boycotting practice because they were so upset about this. But, you know, at the end of the day, Fear over the Patriot way and Coach Belichick and what might happen if you skip practice one out over um, you know any any anger over politi- over political support.
0: It's better to be feared is the the book title. Seth Wickersham, the author, he's with me now here on CBS Sports Radio. One other uh, little thing I, I I thought was interesting is um, I, I there's a good relationship between Belichick and, and Roger Goodell as as your book. Outlines and and you know with with Kraft being fed up with Belichick and and with Brady maybe being fed up with Belichick I did find that interesting because of you know Spygate and, and Deflategate yeah. can you you explain the nature of their relationship?
3: Yeah, it's one of the most interesting things. It's just that they you know they, they they've become close over the years and yeah Roger Goodell's been you know the number one enemy in New England between Spygate and Deflategate and and. At one point, Roger Goodell flew up to New England covertly and met at a private airport. They met on the second floor of a shack at the airport, and he and Belichick met for four hours and discussed rule changes one time in the off season. And then after they beat the Falcons in the Super Bowl, Brady Belichick, and Goodell were in a in a waiting room before they went to a press conference and when when Belichick and Goodell saw each other, they hugged, and Belichick actually lifted Goodell's feet off the ground
0: <laughs> yeah that's not an image I think many of us would expect to see right and finally, you know from all the research from everything you put into this book, obviously you were already familiar with the team. Was there anything that, that was most surprising to you, any like mainline takeaway that you come out with and say this is the New England Patriots dynasty.
3: Well, the, the book, yes, there's some swear words in the book, and there are some fights. and But, you know, the book is about how you achieve greatness and what the cost of that greatness can be. And there's, there's a couple pivotal moments that I really wanted to go down the rabbit hole on in key moments of their lives between Brady and Belichick. And one of them was Tom Brady when he was in Michigan. And he was considering transferring to Cal. In fact, he was going to transfer to Cal because he was just buried on the depth chart. And he tells Lloyd Carr, the head coach, that he's going to transfer. And that night he meets with his his counselor. And he's, he's whining about how he can't get on the field, and he's buried on the depth chart. And his counselor, what does his counselor, Greg Harden, do? Does he hug him? Does he, you know you know, understand or provide tough love. No, he instead he laughs at Brady, and he says, you haven't done bleep here anyway. You want to leave, go ahead. No one will care. And that was really an interesting moment because it it kind of reignited Brady's internal competitive fires. And the next morning he goes to visit Lloyd Carr and he says, you know, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to stay, and I'm going to prove to you that I'm the best quarterback on this team.
0: Wow. Well, it turned out pretty well. For Tom Brady. The, the book is It's Better to Be Feared The New England Patriots Dynasty and the Pursuit of Greatness. Seth Wickersham is the author. And Seth, I, I really appreciate the, the time this morning. Good luck with the book, which is out nationally on Tuesday, October 12th. Thanks, man. Great talking to you.
2: You're listening to The Robin Lundberg Show on CBS Sports Radio.
0: It's The Robin Lundberg Show here on CBS Sports Radio. We've gotten to a lot this morning. The John Gruden situation, which I believe um, is not going away. I'm not even sure Gruden will be coaching tomorrow. Depending on how his players react, I don't know if he'll be keeping his job following the email and and what he said about Demoris Smith, even though it was from the past. Uh, We talked about Erwin Meyer. I kind of think he uh, (laughs) should be thankful for the, the John Gruden situation emerging when it did, taking his name out of the headlines. You got Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder tonight, the trilogy. Heavyweight fight. I uh, would like, or not would like, I like Fury in that fight. He's just simply the better boxer. Um, Kyrie Irving. I just read a quote from Kevin Durant about last night, and he said, "Kevin, uh, here's Kevin Durant on Kyrie Irving being able to practice at home. We want him here for the whole thing, practices, home games, shoot-arounds, Hopefully we can figure this thing out. Sounds to me like KD is getting a little fed up. So covered a lot of ground on the show today, including my NFL picks and Seth Wickersham on his new book about the Patriots dynasty. But right now it's time to get to everything I have not covered as of yet in another one. All right, Anthony, what is up first? All right, so Allen
1: Iverson, he's a Sixers legend. He spent mm-hmm. 12 years in Philadelphia. He won an MVP. He led them to the finals in 2001. He provided the city of brotherly love with many great moments. His number three jersey is hanging in the rafters of the Wells Fargo Center. So that's mm-hmm. why Iverson expressed his confusion as to why he is not a part of Philadelphia's organization. So he was speaking to Taylor Rooks of Bleacher Report. AI said the following, I'm a Sixer for life. I got Sixer blood pumping through me. Everybody knows that I want to help that organization. I've been retired, what, 11 years? I don't know how. I'm not a part of that staff in some kind of way. So should the Sixers, Robin, find a role for Iverson in the organization?
0: Well, you know what? I I had no idea that this was a thing, right? Like until AI just said it. So, I I think this is putting a little public pressure on them in, in that regard. I don't know like, you know, I, I never would have said in the past that um Iverson had to be, you know, a guy that they they were um giving a, a role to. I don't think that's a prerequisite for being a great player in, in the the history of an organization or or something like that. But as far as um this, this unfolding now, I, again, I, I don't think it, they had to give him one, but the fact that he's putting this public pressure on it, I bet you you see some sort of resolution here where there is an olive branch extended. I, I don't know what that exactly looks like. I don't know if that means Iverson will be a member of the um, you know, f- franchise going forward, but I, I do think him putting this pressure on them will indeed turn out uh, – fortuitously for him, and that's the, the power you get when you're, you know, somebody of, of Iverson's ilk and, and his accomplishments. What's next?
1: Ben Roethlisberger spoke with the media on Wednesday and refused to blame physical ailments for his early struggles this season.
0: I don't want to to, to dwell too much on the physical things, the ailments, things that are happening, because it sounds like an excuse, and I'm not going to make that. Um, I need to be better. I need to fight through and figure out how to make better decisions, how to make better throws, how to, um, you know, be a better football player. Uh, and that's why I just said I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep doing that. I'm not giving up on this season. No one in this building is. Uh, it's still early, and there's still a lot of fight left in us.
1: So Big Ben says he needs to be better. You mentioned uh, in your pick segment that there are some saying that the Steelers should bench Big Ben. So I'm asking you now, should the Steelers bench Rafflesburger for either Mason Rudolph?
0: Or Dwayne Haskins? Uh, no, <laughs> I mean, just because that's Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins, right? Like, if um y- you if you had some other option, sure. This is the problem you run into because Ben Ben Roethlisberger does look washed. He looks finished. I just don't think they have the better option. In house, I mean, it's certainly not Mason Rudolph. Maybe you know, with the embarrassment he suffered and and uh, a different environment, Dwayne Haskins has turned into something else, other than you know what we had gotten a glimpse of and and somebody who didn't look very professionally responsible in the past. But I, I just I'm kind of with the Steelers here, where I, I probably stick with Roethlisberger just on uh, what he's done for the organization and and pedigree versus going to somebody who just isn't ready. This isn't Jacksonville, you know, with Trevor Lawrence waiting in the wings or Trey Lance waiting in the wings in San Francisco or Justin Fields or any of those situations, right? There's just no other option. And so until they get another option, I I don't think they have any options. What's
1: next? Christian McCaffrey said on Thursday after practice that he definitely thinks he can play Sunday against the Eagles and also came out strongly against – the NFL's tradition of Thursday night football games. So McCaffrey hurt his hamstring in a Thursday night road game against the Texans on September the 23rd and said he believed the short week of preparation after playing a game on September 19th played a part in that injury. When asked if he thought about Uh, When asked if he thought the NFL should stop playing Thursday night games entirely, McCaffrey said, if you're going to ask me, I would definitely say, and I think I'm not alone in this, I would probably argue against them. It is frustrating sometimes when you feel like something could be avoided with a little more rest. That's just me and my personal views. Are Thursday games too dangerous for NFL players?
0: Probably. Uh, look, I enjoyed Thursday. I, I've come to enjoy the Thursday games a lot, in fact. Uh, remember that we used to make fun of the Thursday night matchups and say it was too much. I much prefer Thursday to Monday. I think, uh, you know, Monday has lost its luster. Monday's so quick after Sunday, you're not really, um, you know, uh, it, your appetite has not been stirred up again yet uh, by then. But – Thursday it has and and I think the Thursday night games have been great. I, I I I'm a fan. But if you're asking me whether they're dangerous for the players, I'm sure they are. I mean, it, I guess dangerous it, is it are they more dangerous than other games? I don't know if they're dangerous. They're more uh hazardous to the the health though and as far as the the quick turnaround like McCaffrey was saying. And it's just not a lot of time to recover from a football game when you're playing on Sunday and you you're, you're basically you know you you get two recover days and one travel day um so that that's a rough turnaround for an NFL game but as a viewer I like them as a player I could see why you wouldn't what's next
1: Pete Rose who of course received a lifetime ban for gambling on baseball is launching a new podcast that talks about gambling provides <laughs> tips offers Suggests on betting lines, but no, Rose insists it's not technically gambling. I know how it looks, and people will criticize Rose, told USA Today, but it's not gambling. It's handicapping. I'm a handicapper. So what do you make of this? Is this a bad look for Rose, or does Rose realize that he's not getting into the Hall of Fame at this point? Then it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, is it a bad I don't think he cares. Uh, you know, the— <laughs> Pete Rose is Pete Rose. I think everybody kinda of gets what he's about, um now. So I don't know if there's there's much to um to dissect here and he's leaning into it, uh, is what he's doing. But the Hall of Fame thing does it does seem like that ship has sailed and, and you know, I, I think everybody kinda of has their opinion formed on Pete Rose. It's it's kinda of humorous to me that this would be the case, but everybody's getting into the, the gambling action, so I guess uh why not? Pete Rose, he he did it when it was more frowned upon. (laughs) What's next? Zion Williamson
1: says he's done with missing the NBA playoffs. It was a sickening feeling, Williamson told Sirius XM Radio. We weren't in the playoffs, and I'm watching the playoffs. I'm like, man, we can be there. Like, I know we can be there this year. Man, something just took over me, and I was like, yeah, it's not happening again. It's not happening no more. So, I guess that means Zion is not destined to stay in New Orleans uh, for very long. But anyway, will the Pelicans make the playoffs this upcoming season, the 2021-2022
0: season? Uh, I would say no. You know, if they do, it's because of Zion, to be honest with you. I mean, Zion's a beast. Uh, There's no question about that. And and I, I give them a shot simply as a result of that. But it's just not a very good roster. Uh, and, you know, the Valanchunas pickup, they're going to be physically strong inside, but they don't have much on the perimeter. They don't have a ton of shooting on that team. Uh, it's just not a very good team in, in general. I've never been a huge fan of uh, Brandon Ingram personally. I know he's a pretty good player, but his style of play I don't think is very conducive to winning. Um, so I would say I would vote no on the New Orleans Pelicans because you have to look at the, the the rest of the conference and who are they bumping out. I could see them being in that play-in game, I suppose, but you know, I I don't think they're better than the Lakers. I don't think they're better than the Suns. I don't think they're better than the Jazz. I don't think they're better than the Nuggets. I don't think they're better than the Clippers. I don't think they're better than the Mavericks. I don't think they're better than the Blazers, and I don't think they're better than the Warriors. So That's eight teams right there. I think I just rattled off. Can they be, you know, in that, like I said, that play-in mix? Maybe. So in in that sense, they could make it. But I don't think they're going to be in that solidified playoff mix. What's next? And finally,
1: the news broke on Thursday that Marvel and Disney Plus are moving ahead with a WandaVision spinoff series starring Katherine Hahn as Agatha Harkness which could also lead to some MCU movie
0: appearances. Are you looking forward to seeing more of Agatha? I, I don't know if that's necessary. I, look, I would say of all the um, stuff that they've done, WandaVision was by far my favorite. Like, by far my favorite. I, I think WandaVision is amongst the best things that they've done, period. Uh, and the, the, the conversation around that show on a weekly basis, I love that show. And I think that's probably why this spinoff is happening, right? So I'm not like against it, but I think that character worked really well within the fabric of that show, and I'm not mad at it because it's Disney Plus. I mean, that's the reason that exists, so they can do stuff that they probably wouldn't have done without that outlet. But I'm also not, you know, desirous to see that character on her own so much as within the context of the universe uh, and, and her appearance that she initially debuted. So. Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm overly excited about it, but I get why it's happening because Wandavision, uh, in and of itself was fantastic, and she was fantastic in Wandavision. But I want to see what happens with the Scarlet Witch next. I'm ready for like I'm ready for the big events now. I'm ready for Doctor Strange and Spider Man and Thor and and the tentpole ones. You know, I'm I'm ready for those. Uh, I hope you guys are ready for a big weekend in sports. I appreciate you hanging out with me. It's been the Robin Lundberg Show here on CBS Sports Radio.